Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the podcast that gets to know the hiker behind the trekking pole. The podcast that asks the why questions of hiking. That takes me, Andy, a recently new hiker, and asks hikers from around the world, how has hiking changed them and how are they in turn changing the world around them? That's right. You're listening to the season four premiere of the Hiker Podcast. Also, the music you're listening to is Changes by Canyon City. And if you like this music or any of the music you listen to here on the Hiker Podcast that you hear here on the Hiker Podcast, go to the description of this episode and you will find a playlist on Spotify where you can rock out on your way to the trail listening to all the fabulous music you hear here on the Hiker Podcast. My name is Andy Neal. Thank you all for listening. I do need to address some stuff right off the bat. This is the season four premiere I'm so excited, so excited that you're here. Many of you may be listening for the first time because, well, this week I went viral on TikTok and Instagram. It's been crazy, Um, but I'm thankful for what that platform has gotten me. So I needed to address that up front. And yeah, I did a little hiking Instagram reel TikTok thing and it went viral. So with that, I'll talk about that more at the end of the show. But I do want to thank our wonderful sponsors of this show. See us instant coffee, the best instant coffee on the trail. Ian and Monica are amazing. They were on the show. You can go back to season three, listen to their episode. I'm not joking. I am a coffee snob. I've had all the coffees, all the instant coffees. It is the best instant coffee on the trail. I often drink it just as my regular coffee because it's just that good. So check them out, get you some. The link to all their stuff is in the description of this episode or go to hikerpodcast.com where you will find out how you can get some coffee of your own and help out the show. Of course, I cannot go on without shouting out our other sponsor, Canock Outdoors. It's not CNOC, it's not Knock, it's not CNOC. I've had the founders and owners of Canock Outdoors on the show. It's Canock Outdoors, makers of the carbon fiber cork trucking poles, which I love so much, and all your water storage needs. Handmade in Portland, Oregon. Go to the link in the description of this episode to get you some new poles. 10% off helps out the show or go to hikerpodcast.com. With that, we're going to get into it here. It is the season four premiere. I'm super excited. For our next guest, I'm also very nervous about this because I was a little open and honest on this interview. Tim Mathis, author, hiker, and former pastor. Me and Tim had a very open and honest conversation. We both were former ministers, formerly held to uh, a certain belief system, and we both 
left that behind and discovered the outdoors and embraced the outdoors. And we had a very open and honest conversation. And I go into this episode knowing that there are people who have deeply held spiritual and religious beliefs, and that's okay. Neither one of us at any point want to disparage anyone for their deeply held spiritual and religious beliefs. You do you. This is just us talking about our journey and Tim talking about his journey. How he went from believing in one thing, the existential crisis that came about when he began to leave that behind and discovering the outdoors. And how the outdoors began to fill the gap that was left by that old belief system. And I've said this time and time again, I have no ill will against anyone who has religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs at all. As long as you love everyone, accept everyone for who they are, who they love, how they identify, whatever, we're cool. We're good. So just wanted to put that out there. I don't want you to think, oh, Andy doesn't like people who have beliefs. That is so not true. It's not true at all. I love you all. Thank you all for listening. And without any further ado, the author of The Dirtbag's Guide to Life and the new book, I Hope I Was Wrong About Eternal Damnation, author, traveler, hiker, Tim Mathis. I can't believe I'm actually having a, f- a fellow former minister on the show, Tim. It's been, um, my, my listeners are know about my journey um, leaving faith, but I haven't talked too much about it. So I'm super nervous right now <laughs> to, to get into this conversation. So um, before we introduce you at the beginning of the show, Tim Mathis, uh, uh, dirtbag, hiker, uh, author, former minister. So Tim, why don't you just tell us about yourself, who you are, kind of a quick little rundown, where you come from, and we'll talk about this, leaving leaving religion and getting into the outdoors. Yeah, I think um, first off, uh, don't be nervous. I think we'll we'll, we'll get through it together. Um, it is it is nerve wracking to talk about sort of religious journey publicly, though, isn't it? Um, so yes, yes, yeah. We we probably are like part of a very small niche of former ministers who then sort of got involved with like outdoor media and, um, and outdoor creating and that sort of thing. So to tell you a little bit about myself, um, I am, I guess I'm here. I'll start with what I'm here for, which is to shamelessly plug uh, a couple of books that I wrote. Um, most recently I just put out a book called, I hope I was wrong about eternal damnation and absolutely and true I memoir. I, yeah. I hope I was wrong too. <laughs> um, it's uh that book is about sort of my religious journey and specifically um kind of how i grew up in a sort of evangelical christian environment and sort of uh, when i hit about 20 very slowly started transitioning out first into a sort of progressive episcopal uh denomination and then then sort of out of religion altogether so that's it's sort of my story it's a it's an old story in a way i uh, i wrote it for the first time uh, more than a decade ago and put it out as a, a, actually I put it out for free online first. And then I, uh, then I put it out as a self-published book and then kind of left it behind for about a decade. During that decade, I 
kind of dove full on into the outdoors and the outdoors replaced a whole lot of, I think the function that religion was playing for me kind of throughout my thirties. And, uh, sort of after about a, a decade, I wrote another book that was called the Dirtbags guide to life, eternal truth for hiker trash, ski bums and vagabonds. And that's a, that's a sort of a how-to guide about how to organize your life around adventure on the cheap. So it's um, those two, I think those two bookends, those two literal bookends, I guess, give you a, a bit of a sense of, of who I am. Um, I, I'll just give you the sort of brief rundown. I grew up in Ohio um, and I went to college in Kentucky at a sort of small liberal arts Christian college called, it was Asbury College at the time, but now it's Asbury University. It's quite a fundamentalist kind of place. I know the, I, I know the school. I know the school. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and then after that, I had a sort of existential crisis. Um, I got married straight away. That's not what caused the existential crisis. That was a positive. Um, got married straight away after college, and we moved to New Zealand for a couple of years and lived abroad. Um, and then after that, came back and lived in Seattle for about 15 years. Uh, we, I guess, when did we move there? We moved to Seattle in 20, 2005. Um, and then we've, now we've got a house in Tacoma. Um, in the last sort of, since about 2015, we've done a ton of traveling and I have a hard time sort of nailing down where home is at this point. But um, we still have a house in Tacoma. Um, we've spent a total all up since that first move to New Zealand. We've we've spent about four years in New Zealand. So that definitely feels like home. And then um, spent quite a bit of time just traveling around the Western US, um, Latin America, I've done quite a bit of uh, uh, a bit of travel in Europe. Um, so yeah, so we've drifted around quite a bit, quite a bit of time in Canada. Uh, I, I feel like that's sort of become the the center of my identity in the last few years. Um, I make the way I make money is as a psychiatric nurse, which uh, is is helpful, I guess, for making sense of all the the sort of <laughs> complexity of life and, yes. and all the sort of challenging stuff that's happened. Uh, just not for, not specifically just for myself, but for the entire world in the last couple of years. So, so that's who I am, I guess, in a nutshell. So much like myself, the outdoors has kind of taken over your, your life day to day. It's, it's what, it's what you do. You, I mean, you wrote a book, um, you know, about being a dirt bag and, um, you know, dirt bag is, you know, the, the, the original term came from climbers in Yosemite and, and it's kind of, permeated throughout just the outdoor culture into through hikers and, you know, ski bums and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm curious though, what you, well, you went to a very conservative Christian college in Kentucky, which is Kentucky is soundly in the Bible belt. Um, what brought on the existential crisis that you spoke of? And um, I want to use this term that many of our listeners may not be familiar with in, in, within conservative religious um, communities or former ex-conservative religious communities. We like to use this term called deconstructing our faith or our religion, where we're kind of breaking down what we used to believe. And then either you leave it or you, you go to a different, more progressive or liberal form of it. Some people double down on it. Um, what brought on that, that existential crisis and that deconstruction of your, of your evangelical and later Episcopalian faith for you? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a, there's, there's multiple, you know, I, <laughs> I tell people that my life has felt like this sort of 
one long ongoing existential crisis, which, uh, which is, um, so it's a big question, but in a nutshell, I would say, so the first time around I was raised in a very sort of conservative evangelical environment. And I think as I got, as I went through my, my teens, as I think a lot of teens do, that sort of became the core of my identity. And, and I, as I sort of moved into my early twenties, I sort of went full on into it. And I think I got even more uh, probably conservative than, than my family would have been growing up without a doubt. I was more, I was the most religious person in my family, I think. Um, but in my twenties, I, I also sort of kept contact with a good friend from high school who, uh, classically went the opposite direction. He's actually, a um, he's a academic scientist now he's an entomologist. So he studies insects. PhD. He's got a bunch of publications and that sort of thing. So we had this sort of ongoing dialogue while we were both in undergrad about sort of the religion and science conflict. And I think like really that's the first thing that triggered off my just initial crisis of faith. Um, I think <laughs> I don't remember, you know, I don't remember a specific thing he said or did, but I do remember that he he convinced me to read like different books that were about sort of history from a, a scientific perspective or, 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 you know, just a, a more scientific understanding of the world. And he, he, he told me to read uh, Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond. And I remember for, for me in college, the idea that evolution occurred, like biological evolution occurred was just, it was just a thing I felt like was completely incompatible with faith. And I remember at one point when I was reading that book, it just sort of triggered off this thought that like, oh crap, there's no way that evolution didn't occur. Like it's just, it's just, the evidence is just all there. So that sort of triggered this shift in me, I think, where I started to question I guess the fundamental things that I believed, right? I think this is a thing that happens for a lot of people in college. I think it's something that should happen for people in college is that you get your sort of, you know, underlying beliefs challenged and you have to start rethinking and rebuilding them. So across the next couple years after that, um, as, as you kind of described it, I would say that's when my, that, that original sort of evangelical conservative Christian faith, I started to deconstruct. And at the time I was, I had, I felt like for me, religion was not a, um, it wasn't a strongly negative experience other than that, right? Like I, I was happy with my religious upbringing and my, the, the, at the time I actually enjoyed this sort of very conservative Christian college environment. I had a lot of good friends there. I didn't feel um, looking back on it, I can see that there are unhealthy elements of it without a doubt. And parts of it that I kind of like, it's like reading your old diaries or whatever. It's, it just makes you cringe to think that you did some of the things you did, but, yes, yes, um, <laughs> yes. but at the time it didn't feel like I didn't feel, um, unhealthy in that environment. So when I started to like, basically my belief system started to break down, I didn't want to lose all the other stuff. So my first instinct really was to try and rebuild in a more progressive religious structure, sort of, you know, basically try and rebuild a, a different type of faith, but stay within the church. And so that's what I did. I mean, um, it's, it's kind of a long story of how we got there, but 
but the next step is we after after you know we got out of college and 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 graduated and then got married my wife and i decided to move to new zealand and i i went to graduate school there at a university called the university of otago and it's a it's sort of a different setup in new zealand where you know in the us if you're going to study theology or going to a private university that's probably associated with a, a church, at least historically. It's just kind of how it is there's, because of separation of church and state laws. And in New Zealand, um, it's like the British system. So there's no, they don't have the same sort of qualms about separation of church and state, I guess. So I, I studied uh, University of Otago was a big sort of public state university. So that what that meant is it made it a really interesting environment to study in because it was a very, uh, one, New Zealand, like, almost no one in New Zealand is, is religious. It's like 5% of the population will be at church on Sundays or something like that. It's a very Mm -hmm. small percentage and, and less, less than half claim any sort of religious affiliation at all. Um, even historically. So it's, it's a very a-religious kind of environment. So the, the country as a whole, I was in a totally different cultural environment to what I was in, in like, you know, small town, conservative Ohio and Kentucky. Um, but also the university itself was really diverse and it was a very sort of, um, is an ecumenical, I guess is the church term, but the, the, you know, the, I guess less churchy term is just as a diverse environment where people believed a whole lot of different things. And, and the people in the program came from all sorts of different backgrounds and different religions and that sort of thing. So it, it gave me this sort of real ability to just kind of rebuild a different type of faith, um, which I did. I mean, I think like for people who, um, don't come from the religious world, it can be, um, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, it can be a very alien environment, but just a, a basic thing to know, I guess, is that, uh, religion within any denomination, with any sort of type of religion can be a very diverse thing. And it can mean being, calling yourself a Christian can mean very different things to different people. And I think I developed a very different sense of what it meant to be a Christian. Um, after, after we, <laughs> I, and I kind of, it was, it was a, a, a big shift after we finished up in New Zealand. It was, it was a great two years, you know, just a fantastic couple of years. It really felt like sort of, um, a chance to just sort of reframe my identity and rebuild an entirely different sort of life. And then you've got the whole adventure of living abroad. It was, it was fantastic. But after that, we, um, we moved back to the U S we moved to the Seattle area. My wife, um, is, uh, at this stage, she is a nurse practitioner. Um, but at that stage she was a, a registered nurse and she wanted her to continue on with her career. And so we moved back to Seattle so she could go to the university of Washington for their nurse practitioner program. While we were there, um, lived right in the middle of Seattle, so right in the middle of this big, liberal, almost like, almost like um, uh, stereotypically liberal kind of city, and we lived in you know right in the heart of it in Capitol Hill, and it was a uh, you know basically I dove full on into all of the the traditional, I guess, progressive causes. We got involved with um, an AIDS organization. Um, we got involved, uh, and, and I, I worked for that organization for, for a year, actually. In the end, it was, um, uh, it was focused on getting sort of, you know, psychosocial support in place for, for people with um, 
with who've who've had who have HIV AIDS and so just getting supports in place for them. So it was like, you know, I was very much in the the gay community, the GLBTQ community. Um, I was very much in this sort of more urban, diverse environment and was dealing with people who had a lot of religious trauma who, you know, were at the same time like of course had their own spiritual beliefs and practices and they're they're all trying to figure out things as well so it was like i was i was working in this very sort of different environment and sort of very very urban diverse international ecumenical all these sorts of things so i was in a, a sort of I'd gone from this i guess very sort of small insular world in the midwest to a very sort of big diverse world in in seattle and i uh, i lived and worked in that environment for about five years as a um as a, an Episcopalian, which again, it's a, it's a churchy term, but, but basically it's the American version of the church of England. So the, the sort of the state church in England has sort of spread all over the world along with uh, mm-hmm. colonialism and that sort of thing. And I got connected with them in New Zealand. It's the, the predominant church in New Zealand. They're, they're also called Anglicans. People might've heard that term, but um, it's, it's a little more, it's a little more high church than, a little more high church than than yeah and as far as like evangelical yeah it's like catholic light is the way that people describe it a lot it's, it's yep, like yep, exactly <laughs> yeah they do you know the sort of smells and bells and you know people in in robes and chanting and all that that sort of thing so uh is is yeah it was it was a, a big shift um trying to sort of encapsulate what led me out of that is I would say that at one level it was just never a fit right I think you're like you're ingrained in your native culture in a way right like my native culture was very much sort of small town midwestern evangelicalism and and my way of relating to religion I think was shaped by that and like it never quite worked I think when I shifted over to the like you said that sort of smells and bells high church different it's mm-hmm. a it's an entirely different culture um and then on top of that i think it's just a lot of it so the way i describe it like my belief system didn't really change from when i was an episcopalian to when i decided to quit church like that at that stage it wasn't about belief right like it wasn't like sort of my my understanding of who god was or you know what our human place in the world was like that didn't change um, it was ma- mainly, I just got burnt out. Like I got burnt out on, mm-hmm. on the work I was, I was working for the church. I was working towards becoming a, a priest in the Episcopal church, just stuff just wasn't working. Um, I was having a lot of like workplace conflicts. I was making almost no money. You know, I, I, I made less than minimum wage if you added up all my, my mm-hmm. hours at the yep. time. And so, yep. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it just burnt me out. And, and I, eventually decided that I, I just needed to get out of it altogether. You you had said something a little bit earlier that I kind of want to explore a little bit before we start talking about your journey with, with um, the outdoors. You said looking back, much of your religious upbringing, it was kind of a net positive. And I, I really relate with that because I look back at my time as you know 15 years as an evangelical youth and music pastor worship pastor um for people who don't know worship pastor is a person who plays guitar in evangelical churches and leads the music and um did that for 15 years and i saw you know a lot of looking back a lot of toxicity 
um, within the church, attitude towards LGBTQ community, um, fights within within churches I worked in, allowing LGBTQ students to come to youth group, um, allowing them to come on you know youth trips and youth camp, um, stuff that I'm just I'm looking back. I'm like, wow, this this is this is horrible. But then I look back at my my upbringing. Um, came from I came from a broken home. A mother um, was using drugs in the church for me, the evangelical church for me, very conservative, um, was a second family for me. And if I hadn't have had that, I don't know where I would be because the church essentially, I found church, you know, at age 13, got, went headfirst into youth group, was at the church every time the door was open, um, was involved in everything I could be involved in, actually worked part-time as a janitor as a teenager in the church the church was a net positive for me in that it, it gave me some sort of moral compass and place to be and a family to belong to so i wouldn't trade that but then i look at the the negatives i'm like oh goodness you know i see what so many people who i i grew up with you know now believe are very into you know uh, you know very supporters of trump and the and very anti-lgbtq and things of that nature i will explore a little bit what what were those kind of net positive things for you looking back like wow I, i'm glad i had that upbringing i'm glad that the church and my my the evangelicalism gave that to me even though i'm no longer a part of that yeah um so there's there's two different tracks I could go down here. I'm going to I'm going to start just by plugging another book that's not by me that I think has been hugely helpful for for me to understand sort of why personally I latched onto religion so strongly as a um well just in in general and I think why people in general religion can be such a powerful thing. Um, it's a book called The Power of Meaning by an author named Emily Esfahani Smith. And she's the book is basically she's a journalist who interviews a whole bunch of people who describe their lives as meaningful. And she sort of recognizes four trends that people who describe themselves as having meaningful lives always mention. And the the four trends are like i read she she doesn't write it from a religious perspective at all she's writing it from a sort of sociological um like self-helpy almost perspective but the the four trends she noted for me are like exactly the package that religion provides for people um she noticed that people have a strong sense of community, which is something you mentioned and i think for people who especially people who come from situations where they feel disconnected from community or whatever it can be just that itself can be like sort of life-saving for people um they have a strong sense of purpose and that uh she she sort of differentiates that from meaning as 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 meaning like purpose is basically like on a day-to-day -day basis you you feel like the things that you do have some value in the world right like they're um it's not that sort of innate sense of meaning or whatever it's like you know like you have a job that's you feel is worthwhile and you don't feel like a you're reason wasting to, your a time. reason to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Um, and then she talks about storytelling, which is is I feel like it's a hard concept, like the storytelling. The idea doesn't communicate so much what she's saying here. But but basically she's saying that people have to be able to. Like 
sort of encapsulate in a story form sort of what life is about and where they fit into it. Um, so they have to be able to sort of tell a big picture story about what's going on in the world and and what their place in it is. Um, and I think for for religious people, that probably makes more sense than for people who aren't religious, right? Because so much of religion is about, and especially evangelical religion, um, is about sort of accepting a story about the way the world works, right? Like mm-hmm. yep. in evangelicalism, and it's it's really easy to encapsulate, right? Like uh, for me, this, this was absolutely something that um, I think like for some reason that's that's a strong part of what my brain needs. I mean, that was definitely a thing that I latched onto as a, a teenager, um, that sense of like, okay, so w- what what is life about? So life's about God created the world. He loves everybody. He wants you to, you know, be saved. So all you have to do is accept Jesus. And after you do that, you have to convince other people um, to accept Jesus too, so that they'll be saved. And like, that was a very that's a simple story to grasp, right. As a teenager. And, and like, for me, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it's only one of the little stories, right? Like there's a lot of stories, but, um, but that sort of latching on the story was definitely something that happened for me. The fourth thing that, uh, she talks about in that book is a sense of transcendence. And so it's a sense of like having these experiences that make you feel like you're connected with something bigger than yourself. Right. Like, so, and church is very much about that, right? Um, it's really interesting. I think as I've like gotten out of church, um, the I've I've realized like how you can manufacture that for yourself in a lot of ways, right? Like the outdoors has really been a means to do that, but so is like mm-hmm. like going on a run for an hour will like start to make you feel like you're you're sort of like connected to the world, like you're kind of high, you know. People manufacture that with like drugs, you know, (laughs) but like, it's important for people to have these regular experiences where they feel like they're connected. So that's sort of the big picture. (laughs) Personally, um, I, you know, it's really hard for me to like, um, look back and, and say exactly why it was that I like connected in, but the good things I really think it's kind of like you said, I mean, growing up, especially in a small town, um, I always had this sort of sense that there was, there's really kind of two tracks in life. And one of them was to like, get into like drinking and smoking and causing problems and probably like, you know, becoming a ne'er-do-well and not really doing much with your life. Or you could like, join the good guys and, and go to church and stay off drugs and, you know, keep your nose clean and work hard and, you know, get your, get your, you know, put together a successful life. So growing up, there was always that, I just sort of had that sense is that's how the world works. And when I was a teenager, I think I was trying to differentiate myself and, and, and form an identity, you know, sort of within my family and my community. And so I just like church was just what I latched onto. Um, I, you know, my family actually was, you know, I, I had a great family, great upbringing, super nice parents, you know, they absolutely loved us and did the best they could. And, um, and we were financially fine, you know, it's typical sort of working class upbringing, but, but not an unstable upbringing in, in any way, you know, uh, you know, everybody's got their issues and, and, and that, but, um, but yeah, the, I feel like as much as anything church was a way to form my identity. And then as I got older, it started to play a whole bunch of different roles, right? I mean, that community mm-hmm. thing is really, 
I, I, the thing I miss the most about church, I say, since I've, I've, I've left is the community aspect of it. Of Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like it. So I think religious communities do two things. One, they like within the group itself, they form really close bonds and, and a quick way to establish trust between people. And then outside of those communities, they form hard lines. So they make it, they make it so that it's, can be more difficult to form relationships with people outside of the community. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, you know, there's a cost and a benefit there, right? Like you can, as a religious person, you can just show up anywhere in the world. And, and if you show up to a church, your denomination, you're going to be accepted straight away and you're going to have friends and, and, um, no there's, time there's a built-in friend group, no matter where you go in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, when exactly. we, tra- yeah, when we traveled and, and, I was working in youth ministry. You could just, you know, you could call up a church two states over. We actually crashed at a church, I think in Medford. Um, I I was pastor of a youth group uh, in Bellevue, Washington, and we did a like a trip down to San Francisco and and just called up a church. I think it was in Medford, actually, and (laughs) asked them if we could crash there. And they're like, oh, yeah, totally. So it's it's that sort of thing. Right. Like you can. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Going up to Seattle. We stopped in Portland, crashed at a church like, hey, can we? Oh, yeah. yeah, Good youth rooms. Fine. Yeah. Totally a thing you do. Yeah. And that's sort of, that's, there's definitely something that's really like cool and powerful and great about that, that you can't, you can't replicate easily. Right. You can't, you can't get that back. But at the same time, there's all the costs, right. Of like, you know, as you talk about, Mm -hmm. there's, there's out groups and there's, you know, in progressive churches, it's less about this, but in conservative churches, I mean, there's, you think that these other people are going to hell. So like, you know, and you think they're going to be bad influences and they might drag you there. So you have this, like this strong sense of connection within the community, but this strong sense of alienation from other communities. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, um, I would say that the community pieces was what kept me going for the longest time. All those other bits and pieces were, were there as part of the picture too. Um, but in the end, it was it was yeah, it was about sort of having those strong sense of of connection to the to the people in the church that sort of kept me there for a decade, even after I decided that I needed to that I didn't believe a lot of the core beliefs and I needed to sort of figure it out. And that for me, I know there was that core loss of identity. Um, my my leaving was very abrupt in, as far as publicly. It was just like boom, I'm gone, I'm out. Um, though it was it was happening over many 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 years um i kind of kept it to myself i I would sometimes usually around election time be grilled by whoever my senior pastor was because i was never very outspoken about who i was voting for um (laughs) because i I, i'd become very liberal in my politics um but knowing perfectly well working in conservative either southern baptist or evangelical churches that i couldn't talk about that openly so uh, two different occasions i had pastors grilling me because i was i wasn't speaking for a certain gop candidate and so they were <laughs> trying to get me to figure out who i voted for but there, 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 that that loss of identity for me um really kind of spurred on the existential crisis and is what led me to go to counseling because i you know I, I leave the church and then i'm like i have zero friends I have my wife who was, who actually was deconstructing before me. And, you know, six months before I left had told me, I don't believe in God anymore. 
I don't believe there's a God. I believe, you know, when we die, we die. And at that point, I'm like, oh, great. Our, our marriage is ruined. This is, this is going to be horrible. But I had been on that journey and I was just a little bit behind her. And so she, she, had, she had not been coming to church functions in a while. And then I left very abruptly, kind of with a big blow up with the, the, scene, the, the, the elders. That's what we had at our church, an elder led church elders of our church and boom i was gone and um you know andy's not leading music anymore and the youth group's kind of on their own and i have no friends and so i go to counseling i go to therapy after enrolling in film school at southern oregon university um kind of working through that graduate and i'm still just floundering and all this you know my 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 biggest thing I was telling my therapist was I just feel like I don't know who I am and I want to pour myself into something. I want to believe something. And it gets back to what you were talking about, you know, just that feeling of transcendence, wanting to feel connected. And she had literally said, you know, we're in Ashland. Um, my counselor was in Ashland based in Ashland. Go to your park and go on a hike. <laughs> and it was like, well, walk through Lithia park. And then, you know, we're 20 minutes from the, the PCT. I go over the, to this little place called Hobart Bluff. It's right on the PCT. And then I, it was a mile from the trailhead, you know, there to this little Hobart Bluff, you know, overlook point. I fell in love and then immediately poured myself into the outdoors and found so much, not that it solved all my problems, not that I don't need to go to therapy anymore, but it was just like, this is something for me that was fulfilling. That was wow this this gives me that 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 identity that feeling of transcendence getting connected to something bigger than myself what was that like for you 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 leave the church you you leave um ministry and yeah now was, the outdoors is there yeah um there was yeah it was a it was a similar process actually um i so my departure was pretty abrupt too. Um, I, this, the book, um, I mentioned, I put it out a decade ago. The first time around, it was sort of a public announcement. The The public announcement, it, it was at least a few months after I'd, I'd sort of formally quit and everything. So it wasn't as probably wasn't as abrupt as yours, but, but the book was sort of a formal public announcement that I was leaving the church. And so it was, yeah, it was the same sort of thing where it's a big sort of public thing. It's very difficult if you're working for the church and you decide to leave, it's hard to not tear the bandaid off quickly, I guess. But anyway, um, so we, I had sort of a conversion moment that I think is what, uh, what led us into the, the outdoors. Um, it was, I had sort of let my Bishop know that, uh, that I was leaving and stopping the ordination process and everything in, I think it was December, November, December of 2009. And on, on New Year's day, 2010, we were watching, um, we're watching TV as you know, all great conversion experiences start and we were watching TV and, um, an Ironman triathlon was on like one of those old sort of inspiring, you know, Mm-hmm. wide world of sports kind of kind of specials about the Ironman triathlon is about all these people who you know this guy does it with one leg and this guy carried his crippled son the whole way and, <laughs> and we're just we're just watching it and we're like oh man I just I wish I was in shape to do something like if those people can do that like surely um surely we could like do something like we could be in a little bit better shape because at that stage you know I was just 
um, I'd always, uh, the outdoors had always been a part of my life, you know, growing up, um, I grew up in the country. So just playing outside and, and camping and, and hiking and, and all those sorts of things were always a part of my upbringing. Um, and then when we're in New Zealand, we, um, we, you know, got a bit into backpacking and, and it's such a beautiful place, right? Like it's, it's hard to not get sucked into the outdoors, at least to some degree, uh, in New Zealand and then in Pacific Northwest, it's kind of the same. So it always been there, but, but at that stage, I think that's the sort of conversion point where it sort of became the core part of, of, uh, who I was. And, and we, my wife and I, it was, it worked out really well that both of us were sort of on the same path. And like you said, like, like you, my wife, she preceded me in the the deconstruction process by years, probably she was, she tagged along and in progressive religion, you know, it's pretty inoffensive a lot of times. So she wasn't like, yeah, yeah. I don't think she was ever like, I got to get out of here. But she was always like, I'm, if you leave, I'm ready to go. <laughs> She'd been like that for years, <laughs> I think so. So by the time we left, we were both in this sort of same space. Um, and, and what happened after we, we sort of, made that we're, we're watching that show as we just were like, well, let's just start training for something. So we like looked for an event and we signed up. Basically we, we signed up for a, the shortest triathlon that you can sign up for. It's called a sprint. And it was, I think it was five kilometers of running like 10 miles biking and like a quarter of a mile swim or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's no Ironman. It's, it's very, very modest and approachable. Um, we, I think it was, uh, we signed up, I think it was in May or June or something. And we're like, all right, we're going to go for it. We're going to train for this. And that just steamrolled, right? It just hit, I guess, right at the right time. So we, we, we trained up for that. And then after that, we, um, we signed up for a, a half marathon, um, that her, one of her coworkers was, was training for, and we're like, okay, we're going to go for this. And then from there, we sort of, we're like, all right, I never want to, I don't think I want to run any further than a half marathon. But then at the half marathon, you get all inspired and you're like, all right, I'm signing up for a marathon. So we signed up for a marathon, trained up for that. And everything just kind of started steamrolling. Um, and eventually, you know, we got to the point where we're, we're running like trail ultra marathons, uh, you know, in 2013. So this was 2010. We started this process in 2013. We worked our way up to a hundred miler. We ran a hundred miler at the Cascade Crest 100 in, in Washington. And, and to get to that point, it, it sort of has to be the core of your identity, right? Because training for a hundred miler is basically a lifestyle, right? You, 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 you kind of have to mm-hmm. spend all weekend, every weekend and multiple days during the week on these long runs. You just kind of have to move all the time. So I, again, like, and at this stage, you know, um, I would say we've actually, I haven't, haven't done long distance trail running to that extent in, in at least five years. Um, and, we've transitioned a lot more over into backpacking and that sort of thing. We, we transitioned over into, um, we through hiked the PCT in 2015, which was sort of a big life change as well. Um, I would say like the, the way I think about the outdoors, um, again, I think it's helpful to think it like for me, it replaced a lot of those roles that religion played in my life. Um, like you said, there's an identity thing there. And that was a big part of it. I think like when, when we first made that shift, I was like, who, the, who am I, who am I going to be now? Right. Like, 
Like when you're a minister, exactly. that's like, exactly. it's like the core, that's everything. I'm Pastor Andy right now. Now, now what am I? I know, like, exactly. I know, right. Like what, what am I now? I'm just sort of drifting around. And so that was a way to be like, okay, I'm going to be somebody who like, I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to be somebody who's I'm healthy. You know, I'm going to be somebody who, um, uh, you know, this is, this is going to provide some structure to my life. And then w- especially when we got into the trail running community, which there's a great trail running community in Seattle. And the place where we bought our first pair of running shoes was, um, the guy who ran it is like, you know, he was, he was an ultra marathoner and, and it's the, the shop itself actually used to be a really well-known shop in the sort of trail ultra running world. Cause a lot of famous, um, famous trail running athletes had worked there and that sort of thing. Um, so we, it was like real easy to get sucked into it. And, and once we found the trails, it was like, oh yeah, this is, this is what we love. Right. Um, it's, um, like you said, that sense of transcendence, just getting out there. And, and even like, there's definitely something to the physical movement thing too. Um, there's definitely something to like your body is, is, is built to move at some level and, and it just starts to produce, um, the right kind of endorphins if you're, if you do get out and move regularly and it's all sort of cumulative, mm-hmm. um, you, um, you know, if you, if you do it regularly, it sort of resets your, your psychology in a way that's really helpful when you're going through something as, as difficult and traumatic as like a, um, a, de- a loss of your identity and a departure from religion and that sort of thing. Um, and then the community forms up around it, right? Like again, with, with the trails, you know, if you're, if you're getting out there a lot, you're going to meet other people who are doing the same. Um, it lends itself to, you know, a long walk, nothing lends itself to like good conversation more than like a long walk in the woods. Right. Like, you know, you, you just start to build close relationships with people who are, um, who are also into it. And, um, you know, there is, I think an analogy a little bit with church, with the, the outdoor community where, you know, you're not gonna, it's, it's not, it's not quite the same, but there is an analogy where if you, you know, if if I show up in San Francisco tomorrow and I get on a Facebook group about hiking and I'm like, Hey, I want to go out, you know, somewhere locally, is there a group going, you can totally sign up or, you know, show up and and meet a group of people and, and connect with people pretty quickly around the shared interest. And, um, and it's, I, I find the outdoor community is a, is a good, easy place to make, make friends and meet people and, um, and, you know, build up an alternative community. And that's really what, what happened for us. I mean, at at this stage, most of my, most of my best friends are people I met either through, um, either through trail running or through the, the PCT. Um, the PCT was another, like the through hiking community is, is more like a religion probably than, than any other trail community yes, it is. that I've, I've come across. And you and you and you have and you have your ultra adherence and then you have your kind of your casual adherence and yeah everything in between. <laughs> a- absolutely. Um and it's another it's another one of those things that like people devote their whole lives to, right? Like they're the people who hike the the Appalachian Trail when they're they're 19 and they're never the same again, right? Like they, they spend the rest of their life figuring out how to take every summer off to to hike long distances or whatever. Um so yeah, you're right. And then and then there's the the dabblers and there's the people who are interested and just sort of fascinated by the psychology of it all. It's um yeah, it's its own sort of powerful 
life experience. And I, it's it's amazing to me. I think back to you know like I got on you know a little mile stretch of the Pacific Crest Trail near near my home here, and I had been out of church for a little over a year at that point and hadn't been hadn't set foot in a church. And there's if if you grew up in evangelical churches, especially you know you're exposed to you know Christian rock. You know had a lot of DC talk growing up and news <laughs> boys and a lot of bad music. Um, but you get the, the this feeling during a worship service where you feel connected to everyone, everyone's singing, and it's kind of like going to a U two concert. And that, that was a feeling that I missed. And you know, as as Christian as pastor, we would call it the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit or whatever or whatnot. And I hadn't felt that until I got out on the trail. And it was, it's a really cool feeling, just this feeling of, of, of that. And then you get out and you, you meet other people and um, you, you feel this connection. And you, you talked about the, the, the PCT. Um, talk a little bit about your experience on the PCT and the through hiking community and, and how that further really just helped you grow as a person as you're as you're leaving your religion as you're as you're as you're leaving um faith and you're becoming more of an outdoors person what was that experience like because i mean the pct is i mean it's the crown jewel of the triple crown as, as they say all the time um i've never been on a through hike before but you know I've, I've hiked large sections of it through oregon um what was that like through the whole process of, of deconstructing you know years later yeah um so the so that my pct experience i would say was actually it's it's a it's a bit of a long story itself we had um we had been in the trail running community for three or four years at that point and had met a lot of people who'd hiked the pct and so that's how we kind of got inspired to do it. It just felt like we'd, we'd run hundred milers. We had done a lot of, done a lot of traveling and that sort of thing. And we'd actually um, done the Camino de Santiago in Spain a few years prior as well. And the PCT felt like a way to just take the next step and go full in, I guess, to, you know, that sort of love of the outdoors. Um, you know, it was a way to, live outside for five months and kind of do nothing else, you know, <laughs> with, with, um, mm -hmm. with trail running and, you know, most people's normal existence is, is fitting in these, these sort of things we love and in the context of other things in, in life and, and having some sort of balance between, you know, work and life and, and the outdoors. And, you know, they sort of play these different roles. So the, the PCT was a way to just sort of dive full in, um, the complicated thing. And uh, I'll try and sort of tell this in a way that sort of keeps us on focus instead of, you know, cause it's its own, there's a whole book in here about this actually, but, but when we, when we, about a month before we were leaving for the PCT, my dad got diagnosed with brain cancer and, uh, the worst kind of brain cancer, terminal brain cancer, glioblastoma that people like the doctor, you know, described it as not survivable, right? Like it's, it's a terminal diagnosis. It's a hundred percent, um, terminal there. They've some sort of 
one or two questionable cases of people that have recovered. But, um, but anyway, we got that news about a month before we were supposed to leave. Um, the, the, the PCT, you know, long story short, basically is that the PCT, uh, my parents, dad included were insistent that we continue on um his prognosis was supposed to be about 19 months or so um so we were you know we were thinking what we were going to do um the pct was a split from our work we both had to quit our jobs to go do it so what it meant is we had sort of freedom to do what we wanted afterwards so what we had planned to do was um was hike the pct and then they were gonna they were gonna meet us along the way at different points. Um, they were based at that point in Las Vegas. So it was, um, close enough out there out West to be able to, um, to meet up with us. And then we were going to move to Vegas afterwards to sort of, I guess, live out my dad's life with him. Um, but that's not how it shook out. Like he, um, he had his initial surgery and everything looked well for a month or for about, about three months and then things just all crashed. So literally the day after we passed the midpoint of the PCT, I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was the first road crossing after we'd passed the midpoint. Um, we started to get all these texts and my mom basically had, had said that my dad had collapsed and, um, he'd been in the hospital and the, the his cancer or the tumor was back and like bigger than it had been in the first place. And so at that point, um, we just made the call that we were, you know, obviously we were done with the PCT and we were going to go back down to Vegas and, and sort of care for my dad. Um, so that's what we did. I mean, we, it was just like, just the, you know, that sort of feeling a dread, right? Like just the worst feeling you can, you can have, um, you know, we hitched out and we caught a bus from, um, from sort of Northern California over to Reno. And then from Reno, we rented a car and drove down to Vegas. And, and, um, long story short, my, my dad didn't make it much longer. He passed away within a couple of weeks after, um, after that. Um, and we hung around Vegas for, for another, um, another week or so, I think. And, and we're just trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And my mom, you know, in conversation with my mom, she was, my dad and mom have always been, people who like have encouraged us to to like go live our dreams or whatever they've always been super supportive in that way and my mom was like you know you guys need to go and we, and we were in the same boat we we're feeling the same way like you need to go finish this your dad would want you to do that um he absolutely didn't want you to miss out on this because of him um i want you to do that so uh, we made a, a plan with my mom and she um she ended up, it was actually a really cool experience, um, for that relationship because what, what happened is my mom's always been somebody who, who enjoyed travel and adventure and the outdoors and that sort of thing. And my dad was actually a little bit less into that stuff. So she used it as a chance to, uh, engage with that a little bit more. So she, um, she spent the next couple months training up and getting herself into a little bit of shape. And she, um, she, went on her first backpacking trip. Um, her first backpacking trip was to hike uh, the PCT for people who know it. the, the actual finish is at the Canada U S border, but the closest road to that is eight more miles. So you get to the finish and then you have to keep going. Um, yep. <laughs> so, so my mom's first backpacking trip, um, my uncle joined her and they hiked in that eight miles and they backpacked at the terminus, uh, to wait, to meet us there at the end. So, um, it was this really, nice 
life event, I guess. Um, in the end, it it um, it provided like a real sense of, of sort of closure on um, you know my dad passing, and it, it it gave my mom I think something to focus on during those periods right after he'd passed. That that um, like you said, you know, like you've you've said, it's there's so many benefits to just sort of getting out and moving. And for your mental health, like, especially when you're going through periods of grief like that, like just having something constructive and goal directed that you can do that feels like you're making progress on, I feel like is just such a good basic thing to have in your life when you're going through a period of grief like that. Because it feels like, you know, it feels like you're, you're, there's movement in one area of your life while everything else feels like it's crashing down. You at least feel like you have that positive movement in that one area and it can be very concrete. Right. So she was doing that, but at the same time we're doing it too, because when, when we, when we got down back on the PCT, you know, we'd started and, and we're tracking sort of along a, a normal season, but because my dad got sick, you know, we had to get off for, for quite a while, I, I can't remember exactly. I think it was like three or four weeks that we were off. Um, so what that meant is that when we got back on, we had to like book it if we were going to have any chance of finishing mm-hmm. that season. Yeah. So we did. And we just like, I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever done physically without a doubt. That second half of the PCT, we, um, I think we, we, our baseline was 25 miles every day. Right. And I think Jeez. we took, I know it was brutal <laughs> and we were, like, I, I, point, I can, I can see, I can see that through the Oregon section and parts of the Washington section, but yeah. you get through the rest of Northern California at that, at that rate is insane. At, at that stage, the thing is, is through hiking does turn you into a machine, right? Like you, you just get to the point where you can just hike all day. Like you get up, you walk all day and then you go to bed. Um, but you also like we were, you know, you also need a break every once in a while. And the problem for us is that we we kind of had to keep that average up. So we we couldn't really take days off. So I think we only had this the whole second half. Um, I think we only had a couple days off. So it's like two months, basically, of just 25 mile days every single day. Um A few that were shorter, you know, occasionally we'd walk shorter if we had to go into town or whatever. But most days we're doing at least 25s and so it was brutal (laughs) but it also like is kind of on that on that theme right like you're as you mentioned you're sort of out there in this environment and like you know it's pretty i mean that second that second half is is just stunningly beautiful you know almost Mm -hmm. the whole pct is just like the reason it's people call it the crown jewels because it's just so beautiful the whole way there's just not a bad section so you're out there in this beautiful environment all the time which is you know about the best thing you can do probably to to counteract all the sort of um ongoing negative emotions that come along with grief and just this sort of like that you know for me loss of a parent was was in a way the most similar experience I've gone to gone through to like leaving religion because it it just attacks your identity it raises all sorts of questions about like the meaning of life it as it raises a lot of questions about like well what are you going to do with the rest of your life um you know you're you're sort of the next generation to go right so you know time's limited what are you going to do with that you know um are you are you living your life the way you want to be and that sort of thing so so um 
grief does that to you. And then, you know, the trail is sort of the opposite where it's, it's basically giving you this time to sort of process and think and really what it does too, is you're, you're living with just only what you got on your back and, and realizing sort of in the worst case scenario, you can live with very little and still be okay with it. Um, so it's giving you this sort of perspective on, on life, life becomes a lot more there's a lot more that's possible when you sort of have that perspective, right? Like if you're, if you're happy and this is a huge theme in the, the dirtbags guide, I think is that if you're happy with not very much, then, um, you can, you can do a lot, right? Like you can, there's a lot of options. Um, if you don't have, if you don't have that much that you really need to spend money on to, in order to be happy. So, um, and then the flip side of it is having this, um, as I was kind of talking about with my mom, like having this goal directed, experience of like, all right, so this is what we're doing. We've got this long walk and we're going to finish it off. Um, just having that, that goal in mind keeps you from languishing. I think it keeps you from sort of, uh, getting bogged down in the sort of natural sense of like dread and sadness and meaninglessness that comes along after you, you go through, um, a hard experience, like losing somebody who's like really important to you. Um, so it's that was sort of post religion for me at that stage, I think. But of course, like all those same sorts of of questions and topics were coming up. I think that that experience really helped me to. I think one of the things that I've I, I've a big shift that's happened is sort of this sense that like for for me when I was religious I felt like a big part of what you're doing in religion is is trying to f- build a meaningful life trying to figure out like what is the sort of most important mm-hmm. thing in life and religion mm-hmm. it says it's it's God it gives you like this sort of like concrete answer. Um, for me, the, the sort of outdoors, the PCT, especially, I think was a experience that helped me to see that, like that sense of meaning is something that you cultivate, right? Like it's a, um, it's not a thing, right? Like it's not like, a, um, you know, there's not something external, like you don't find meaning and then you've got it. Um, it's, it's, it's a process where there are things that you do um, every day that help to make you feel that way. Right. Like, cause with the PCT, I was both in a stage where I was having that challenge at a really intense level every day. Um, just sort of processing my dad's passing and, and being as like sort of dramatic as it was. And as, as you know, he went from being a completely healthy person on the edge of uh, sort of happy retirement to, to gone in, you know, in a matter of months. So, um, so I was processing all that stuff, but I was also doing these, these things like the hiking thing, you know, I'm out there in, in nature. And so I'm seeing all this beautiful stuff. I'm being reminded of like, what's important in life. Um, I'm, I'm meeting a lot of really interesting people cause there's so many interesting people that, that hike the PCT. And so I'm building a community around it and still, you know, watching, watching friends who are having these big sort of meaningful life experiences. And, and basically they're all, you know, through hike is, is a pilgrimage at some level, right? Like it's whether you want it to be or not, like if you make it through, it's something that's going to like change your life in some way or another at the end. I think it's just, just something that happens when you do something like that. Some people are doing it intentionally, some people not, but in the end, everybody kind of is changed by it. And then, you know, you're also, um, 
goal directed, right? Like, and having that goal directed thing of like, this is a thing I'm trying to achieve. And then when you get there, it's like, this is a thing that I'll always, you know, this is an experience I'll always have. And I'll, I'll you know, always have this sort of, it's like a, for me, <laughs> there's like a, a similarity between like a university degree or something and, and a through hike where it's just like, it's a qualification that now you've gained and you'll always have in your, your back pocket. So, so yeah, so I think going through that process helped me to like recalibrate the way I think about like how to put together a meaningful life and sort of helped me to see it concretely in a way that I hadn't before, where it's like, if you do these things and the reality was when I did those things, it did get me through, right? Like if you do these things, you're going to feel, there's going to be times when you feel super crappy. There's going to be times when you're like, you know, you feel lonely without a doubt, you know, all those, all those things. But, um, but when you like do this package of things, right? Like when you get out there and you experience nature and you connect with other people and you like set goals and achieve them and you, you know, um, do things that you care about and do things that you love. Um, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna feel like life is meaningful, right? Like you're, that's, that's what it means to like, um, build that, that meaningful life, right? It's not a thing to find. It's a, it's, it's just sort of a process you have to continually go through. And it's almost antithetical, at least to, I know how I, I grew up um, in the evangelical church and what I was taught in Bible college about, you know, here's the answers. Here's a, here's a system. We called it systematic theology. Here's a system. This is how it works. This is it. Say this prayer, do this. You'll go to heaven, take as many people with you as you can. Whereas this trail is, is it's a process and it's a journey and you learn to go with the flow. You learn to take the good with the bad, um, which the religion, they talk a lot of about that, but practically it never really worked out. And um, I know trail has given me so much of the same, but closing out, why you you wrote your first book and then you have this second book i hope i was wrong about eternal damnation what do you hope people are get out of these books whether they come from a, a conservative religious background progressive no religion at all what do you hope people take it away from the words you've written <laughs> i think so um my most recent one though the one on religion which is also a reworking of the first book I wrote. So I hope I was wrong about eternal damnation. The reason I decided to rework it at this stage in history is because I think a lot of people are in this boat. I think, um, one, a lot of people are genuinely leaving faith right now because they're like so much in the religious world seems like it's, it's just, changing it's gone off the rails it's gotten super unhealthy toxic like all these things are being aired in public you know we're we're reminded of that we're we're recording this on january january 6th right right exactly (laughs) exactly right like it's all the reminder of like religion has driven people down this path that is just like what is happening so anyway a lot of people are leaving um and the book is very much about um, just trying to normalize that process, right? Like that it is like, you know, you go through these things and you see these things that seem toxic and, and you're supposed to believe that this is like a, you know, this is the sort of source of all good 
you know, the, the church, but like, actually that's not, it's a human thing, right? Like, like I think just sort of helping people sort of recognize that religion has its place in the world. And it, it, as we've talked about, it plays important roles for people in different parts of life, but it's, if you're experiencing it as toxic and not sort of the fount of all good that it claims to be, or it can claim to be sometimes not all religions, you know, I have to throw in the, not all, <laughs> you know, just as a disclaimer, not all, you know, religious expressions and religious people are like this, but, but when you experience it that way, it's, you know, it's okay. And you'll have, you can build a, a happy life afterwards. Right. That's, that was sort of the motivation for reworking it. The dirtbags guide is, you know, I wrote it in 2019 and there was no explicit religious connection made in any way. But in my mind, I've always had this sense of like the, the stuff in the dirtbags guide is really the stuff that sort of helped me build a life after religion that felt meaningful. Right. So that's, that's really in the end, what it's about is like how you use the outdoors as an avenue to building a good life. Right. And so, you know, it focuses on things like finances and your career and your relationships and, and that sort of thing. But in the end, it's, it's about like, how can you build a meaningful life and how can you sort of center your life on the things that you care about and that you love and that uh, you think are important. Um, That's, that's in the end, what it, what I hope people take away from it, right. Is um, it's just something useful and fun. And, you know, I, I, another thing I think since I've left religion is I, I have this sort of like instinctual aversion to like letting things get too serious. Cause sometimes you just have to like laugh and let it go. Right. So there's both of the books. I think <laughs> yes. there's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of it is just like, just also like the cathartic, like make fun of yourself, make fun of this stuff a little bit, right? <laughs> like, like, don't take yourself too seriously. So I hope people also think it's funny, I guess is what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> Two more sets of questions for you as we close out here. First off, what's your trail name and what's the story behind it? <laughs> so my trail name's Darko. Um, the story behind it is it's initially it's very uninteresting, but I'm going to try and throw in something to make it interesting. So we were in Southern California, which is where most people get their trail names because it's the beginning of the trail. And there was a big snowstorm. Uh, and so we were holed up in Big Bear for a couple of days with a bunch of other hikers in a trail angel's house. And there were a group of us who had trail names and a group who didn't. And we were trying to think up trail names for, for the people who didn't have them because there's nothing else to do during the day. Right. And so, so um, somebody from the group was like, Hey, you look kind of like Donnie Darko. And I was, I was like, I actually hadn't seen Donnie Darko at that point. Um, it's Jake Gyllenhaal, a young sort of much less hunky Jake Gyllenhaal at that stage. Um, <laughs> he was, um, and so I was like, and that's what stuck, right? I just became Darko. Um, the thing that's interesting is I watched it after the trail with a friend and um, it's, it's kind of about like this kid who's sort of slowly descending into madness and, and watching the world crash down around him. And like, for some reason that did actually kind of resonate with my PCT experience going through, going through all the stuff that I went through on the PCT. So it's like, there's, there's something actually that was appropriate about being named Darko through this process. 
Um, so that's, that's the, that's the story behind it. And last question, if someone wanted to purchase your book, follow you online, read your blog, where would they go to find all that stuff? Absolutely. Um, very important question. So, um, the easiest place of course is, is Amazon. Um, if you, there's a couple different things I'm going to tell you here. The first one is if you just, if you just go to Amazon and look up, I hope I was wrong about eternal damnation. Obviously you'll find it. If you Google my name, Tim Mathis on Amazon, uh, you'll find it. And if you look up Dirtbag's guide to life, you'll find it. All those, um, all those are also on Goodreads. Um, I do keep all the social media crap that you have to do in the world these days. Um, if you, I'm on, I'm on Instagram as at dirtbag guide. So there's no S in that. It's just dirtbag guide because somebody had already taken dirtbags guide. <laughs> so if you, you can find me there. Um, I also do keep a blog that's, uh, this is, this is an area of my life that I've sort of vehemently kept as, as pretty, um, a place where I can just kind of write whatever I want. So it's sometimes structured around like the outdoors. Sometimes it's about like psych stuff. Sometimes it's just about like whatever I'm thinking about that day, but you can find my blog online. It's just Tim Mathis writes.blogspot.com. So, um, yeah, my name, Tim Mathis writes.blogspot.com. And all those links will be in the description of this episode. Sweet. Tim, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with me and uh, talking about your journey um, from religion to the outdoors. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. Big thank you to Tim for coming on the show. And thank you all for listening through the entire episode. Like I said at the top of the show, I was really nervous about having Tim on the show because I, I was afraid people are going to think, oh, Andy hates people who have beliefs. And that's not true. I'm still trying to figure out my own beliefs. I do know the outdoors has given me a sense of belonging and a sense of something bigger than myself. And you can call that a deity. You can call that the universe. You can call that Mother Nature. You call that what you want. Um, we're cool. As long as you love everyone for who they are, who they love. We're good. We're all good. So with that said, I do want to address a few things. First of all, I did start a YouTube channel this week. Andy Neal plus size hiker. It is now live. I did my first video this last week. It's doing pretty well. If you want to subscribe, check it out in the link of the description of this episode. I'll have it up on hikerpodcast.com here soon. Um, but yeah, check it out. Not only am I going to be talking about my story and encouragement for plus size and new hikers, I'll be doing gear reviews um, this week. You may be listening to this after. Uh, I'll be doing a video on trekking poles and talking about my trekking poles, the Kanak Carbon Fiber Cork Trekking Poles, the sponsor, one of the sponsors of the show. Big thank you to Kanak, of course. Um, I do need to talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah, so... This week I went viral and it's been a bit of a crazy week for me, but I'm so thankful for it. Many of you know that before getting into hiking, I went to film school and I loved content creation. I love social media. I dabbled in YouTube a little bit. And as someone who was creating content 
before I discovered hiking, I always wanted to go viral. I always wanted to have a big following. And it just never materialized for me. And I discovered hiking and I discovered plus size modeling and the plus size outdoor industry. And I just became content with where I was at. And that's not a bad thing. I don't say, oh, I became content and stagnant. No, I became content with my growth and how things are going. And the podcast is going amazing. Hiker Podcast is consistently one of the top, if not the top hiking podcasts on, on iTunes. Or it's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts. Um, often in the top 10 or 20 of outdoor podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it's been growing, go, going well. I've been able to support my family um, through opportunities from this. And it's been absolutely amazing. But when I released that Instagram reel and it went viral, so many people have reached out to me and told me how, you know, I saw this and I decided to go out and go for a hike. And for those of you who may not have seen it, there's a link to the, to the Instagram reel in the description of this episode. Essentially there's this trend going on where people have been posting going for a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. And there's this, upbeat music and people look mad and bitter as they're walking and it's, it's funny it's hilarious actually so i've seen several of these videos and i saw one particular by by hiker podcast guest heather diaz i was like oh that's a great idea i think i'm gonna do one for hiking after i drop off my daughter for school sometime this week off by the river i'll just do it it'll be funny maybe you'll get ten thousand views because it's a trending sound and it's a trending thing so i did it and i hadn't seen any hiking ones i've seen hiking ones since but at that point, I hadn't seen any hiking ones. I did it, and um, it was five shots in seven seconds. Do, 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 do. Just me looking angry about having to hike, and it says going for a stupid hike in the stupid morning for my stupid mental health. And the encouragement with that is be outdoors and hiking if you want it to. If maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can, but. It can and does often have mental health benefits. I posted it and then drove to the gym. I like to I like to move my body and exercise every day. It's, it's my thing. Um, and from the point where I went from the river to the gym was 20 minutes. And it got 10,000 views in that first 20 minutes. I'm like, whoa. And it slowly crept along. By, that was a Tuesday. And by the weekend, it was at 100,000. And as I'm recording this right now, um, this episode of the hiker podcast as i'm recording this let me go ahead and look and see how many views we are at with this 12 million and it's on a million on tiktok as well i never even used to use tiktok um i just yeah anyways that's another story so many of you may be following me because you saw that video many of you have been listening for the last almost two years and the show has been amazing to me. The show has brought so many opportunities to me and given me a renewed passion for the outdoors week after week after week. When I talk to hikers about how hiking has changed them and how they're changing the world around them and not only the the mental health benefits, but the benefits they receive from the outdoors just as for, for being good human beings and how it changes their, their perspective on life and love. And it's it's been such a astronomical amazing thing for me so I wanted to thank you all for listening 
for supporting me. I don't know what the future holds for me. Obviously, I was doing modeling for Columbia Outdoors before this, uh, doing some influencer stuff for Eddie Bauer and some other companies and organizations. It's been really cool. I have had several companies and organizations I've never heard of reach out to me and some that I have. Um, but just know that this podcast will always take top billing for me. I love podcasting. I love talking with other hikers and outdoors persons about hiking, through hiking, backpacking, plus size hikers, um, unlikely hikers, people who work in the outdoors, public lands, inclusivity. That's what this show's about. So thank you all. I do want to thank the Patreon supporters of this show. If you're listening and you haven't heard and you're a Patreon supporter, I am and have adjusted the Patreon to support this show, my YouTube channel, and my work on Instagram. And uh, you will, every week, continue to get a shout-out on the show if you are a Patreon supporter at a certain level. Um, the levels and rewards have changed. But if you'd like to support me on Patreon, uh, go to the link in the description of this episode, and you can go on Patreon and give me um, support there, which is helpful. With that, guys, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Tim, for coming on the show and sharing your story. And thank you for listening to episode one of season four of the Hiker Podcast. Podcast.